0: Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanacademy.com. That's McClanahanacademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class 10 minutes of American history when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanacademy.com, enroll and get a real history education. All we need is a one trillion dollar coin to get us out of this mess. At least that's what the MMT people say. I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back with the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. By the way, I will be having a great sale in June, which is just about a day away. So you're going to want to get that, get in on that sale because some things are changing at McClanehan Academy. So make sure you are over there. You've subscribed and you're going to find out about the great coupons. I'm going to have at McClanahan Academy for June. So get in on that. You can also support the show by clicking on that support tab at Brian Or you can go to Spotify for podcasters. I mean, there's great ways to do that. Or you can click on the super thanks button on the YouTube video. Lots of great ways to support the show financially. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you love it. Give it a five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. If you're on YouTube, comment for the algorithm. That helps get more eyes and ears on the show. And send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. All right. Well, we've got this debt limit situation. And for about a decade now, there's been this idea floating around that what we should do is just mint a $1 trillion platinum coin. If we just minted a trillion dollar platinum coin, you just deposit it in the account, the treasury, they have to take it because, or the Fed has to take it, but the the treasury minted it. And so that would solve it. You've now got a trillion dollars. You just create it out of thin air. And of course, we've got a coin to back it up. It's a a precious metal coin. It's not just a piece of paper saying, here's one trillion dollars. So that avoids the inflationary problem, theoretically. But it doesn't. It doesn't avoid it. Now, in 2011, when this issue was first, or this idea was first proposed, it was from a message board, I think. is And I'm going to read an article about this. But the Mises people were all over this, including Bob Murphy, who said, look, this is, this is just ludicrous. It's absolutely ridiculous. First of all, to, to mint a coin of that value, of platinum, would have to be the size of the Sears Tower, right? So, I mean... This is how much platinum you would have to have. Now, that's based on the idea that you would mint the coin at the current market value of platinum, which is about you know, $1,800 bucks an ounce. We know the Treasury wouldn't do that. We know they would just mint a coin. It might be a big coin, but it wouldn't be a coin the size of the Sears Tower. Or the other idea is just to mint a whole bunch of uh, you know 1 ounce, 10 ounce platinum coins, whatever it is, Just spend a whole bunch of those at the current value and just deposit them onto the Treasury. And then, of course, you've got the issue solved. So you'd have to have a tremendous amount of platinum to do this. And, uh, I mean, look, there's nothing illegal about it. In 1997, there was actually a bill passed that allowed the Treasury to mint smaller value coins. So you can get a gold coin, for example, that has a face value of like five bucks. Um, and that face value then is a small gold coin, but you can buy these things for cheaper. So it's for coin collectors essentially. People that were interested in collecting bullion, they could go out and buy small denomination, you know uh, silver coins or I'm sorry, gold coins. They still get the one ounce silver. but that's why they were doing it. But platinum, you can buy one ounce platinum coins. Well, these things are also available. And you've got some real interest from MMT people in doing this. You don't need the debt limit. You don't need to do anything. You just put a trillion dollars in the bank and now you've got a trillion dollars. Problem solved. You've got one trillion dollars now in currency you didn't have before. Now think about that logically. You just minted a trillion dollar coin. Now again, if it's based on current market value and you haven't really increased anything you've just minted the coin based on current market value, you deposit in the account, well, then it doesn't really create an inflationary problem. But on the other hand, they couldn't really do it, right? I mean, they can't come up with this kind of money, this kind of metal to do this thing. So they'd have to to, uh, address the ratio problem. This is something that happened back in the late 19th century during the Cleveland administration. And uh, it happened actually before. It happened during Reconstruction. This is an interesting issue because we're getting to that point now. We're in this Reconstruction period again. We're seeing Reconstruction, and uh, with uh, Confederate monuments and all these things, and you know, we're, uh, wokeism is a part of Reconstruction. All of this is a, just another form of Reconstruction. We're seeing it also with spending. You see, during Reconstruction, the government was spending like crazy, and they had to try to figure this out. So you saw a, a general. Uh, reduction of that in the late 19th century, particularly by the Cleveland administration. And that was because of how much money the federal government was spending. So you have uh, John Sherman of Ohio, his brother of William Tecumseh Sherman, proposed something called the Sherman Silver Purchase Act. And the idea was to have an equity of silver and gold in the treasury. Why? Well, so you could inflate the, the, mon- the money supply. You would get farmer. This was, this was the debtors would, would make out this because there was more money in circulation. Your debt didn't go up, but uh, you had more money to, to spend. So let's say you owed 1000 bucks, and now we've just pumped a whole bunch of silver into the economy. You still owe 1000 bucks, but now you have more money to pay it off, so you paid off your debts faster. That was the idea. The problem was they had the ratio way out of whack. And so people were actually withdrawing gold from the treasury at a rapid pace. And all that we were left with really was silver. That was against the law. And so when that happened, the Cleveland administration had to come in. This is in the second Cleveland term after he was out for four years. When Cleveland came back into office, he had to get this thing right. And that created a panic, the panic of 1893. Because he's trying to get an equity again of gold and silver in the treasury. And then you saw the push to get rid of silver entirely and just go with gold again, to go back on the gold standard. So what we would have to do with a trillion-dollar platinum coin is come up with some type of ratio that would work. You would have to see the price of platinum plummet, essentially, to make sure that this coin could go in, and everybody's platinum would go way down. You would lose money if you had platinum, at least theoretically or you'd have to print you'd have to mint so much platinum, I don't mean do we have enough of it? You have to mint so much of it into coins to put in the treasury so you could do this. Now, there's a money-making part of this for the United States government, which is what this piece gets into. So the MMT people are all over it. All right, this the non-sound money people, they know this is an inflationary this is an inflationary ploy, which is why they're fine with it because they don't really think that you ever have to have You know, a balanced budget or ever have to reduce the debt. Remember, I talked about this yesterday. Deficit politics. You never have to get rid of it. You can just borrow, 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 or you can print, and it doesn't really matter. You just keep printing. Keep the presses running. Keep money going out in circulation. Yeah, the people at the top are going to get rich, but we're never going to have a financial crisis. Uh, And this works, in theory, as well, if everybody in the world is doing it, right? So if the United States is inflating its currency... And the European Union's inflating its currency, and now the pound's inflating its currency, and you got you got all these people inflating their currency. You've got every European power, every Asian power, every African country, every South American country for all inflating. The United States inflates less than everybody else, and so the dollar remains strong. That's the whole point. It's the whole theory. Well, again, the Mises people are all over this and said, "Look, this is just an absolutely ridiculous idea. Uh, if we do this." it's going to create another financial shock. And I think historically, you just got to go back to the 19th century and find the examples of that, right? I mean, this is why you study history and say, okay, have we ever tried this before? Well, yeah, sort of. We did it in the 19th century with gold and silver. We had a gold standard. That was during the Grant administration. Well, that didn't work for the silverites, rights. The Republicans, like John Sherman, the progressive Republicans who wanted to have more money in circulation. So, well, we need... We need to have uh, the we had the Bland Allison Act and then we had the Sherman Silver Purchase Act. So we need to have these things to get silver in there. So what what happened, though, again, the ratio was out of whack. So people started pulling the gold out because they know they could They're making money on the gold. They're not making money on the silver. And now we have a treasury full of silver and you're seeing inflation like crazy. So we've seen something like this. And you would have to look at the ratios. You couldn't, you couldn't mint enough coins at $1,800 an ounce or whatever platinum is trading for right now. I can't remember off the top of my head. But you couldn't, you'd couldn't. you have to mint so many coins. This could take a while. You'd have to get the resources to do it. So you have to buy it, or you'd have to have it in reserve somewhere. You couldn't just say, here's a one-ounce coin that's now worth a trillion dollars. What have you just done? One ounce of platinum now is worth a trillion dollars. Or it's a face value, anyways. That's what you say. It's a face value. I mean, theoretically, if you took your one ounce of silver into the mint, right? Took your one ounce of silver in there, and you said, here, you could you could get a dollar for that. You took it in the bank. They would give you a dollar for that one ounce of silver. But theoretically, that's what we know it trades on the open market for you know, 20-something bucks an ounce, but you could get a dollar for it. So there you go, right? So let me get into this piece because it's interesting. Uh, the man who invented the trillion-dollar coin. This is at NewYorkMag.com. No, Joe Biden didn't invent the trillion-dollar coin. Atlanta lawyer Carlos Mucha, I guess is how you say his name, Mucha or Muca did. About a dozen years ago, a pseudonymous commenter on a financial website writing under the name Beowulf presented an unusual solution for a debt ceiling standoff. If the federal government was at risk of default, and Congress couldn't agree to either cut spending or raise the borrowing limit cleanly, couldn't it simply mint a trillion-dollar coin? Beowulf had come across a 1997 law that in response to requests from coin collectors gave the treasury the power to mint platinum coins of any denomination. Collectors had complained that even coins available at the time with the smallest face values are still too expensive to afford. The law started as a way to make collectible coins cheaper, cheaper but unlike every other law regulating new coins, this one did not establish a specific face value or limit the number of coins produced. Right, so it's platinum. I mean, gold, These, but now we can do this with platinum. It has to be platinum because of the law. Congress screwed up, Beowulf wrote, by passing the law it had given the president the authority to direct the Secretary of the Treasury to mint a coin of any value, say $1 trillion, and deposit it in the Federal Reserve, which would be legally obligated to accept it. Ultimately, the coin's deposit would result in $1 trillion in government revenue or with a coin of a different denomination, however much was needed to continue to pay its bills and avoid at fault. The catch is, it's got to be made of platinum, Beowulf wrote. Ditto the balls of any president who tried this. In the time since, the idea has gained an unexpected acceptance among policymakers and economists. In 2013, Representative Jerry Nadler said the idea sounds silly, but it's absolutely legal. Well, it sounds silly because it is, but it is legal. Shortly after, Paul Krugman, if Paul Krugman is behind it. You know it's a bad idea. Asked himself in the New York Times if the president should be willing to mint the coin to avoid default. He responds, yes, absolutely. I think at the time this happened, uh, you still have the Contra Krugman podcast. And I believe Tom Woods and Robert Murphy got into this. But the amazing thing about it, it's still on the table 12 years later. People are still talking about it. Every time now you have a budget crisis, which I talked about yesterday. This is going to be brought up. Why don't you submit the coin and get it over with? Philip Deal, a former director of the Mint and Treasury, chief of staff who co-wrote the 1997 law, allowed that a coin with a specific denomination of $1 trillion was, quote, an unintended consequence, but maintained that the possibility was always conceivable. In principle, there is nothing new, he said. In principle, there is nothing new. He said this is an unintended consequence. In other words, don't do it, right? Don't do it. We don't need to mint a trillion dollar coin. That's ridiculous. In principle, there's nothing new. This is what I mentioned before. It's nothing new. We've tried some of this stuff. And it hasn't always had good consequences. Any court challenge is likely to be quickly dismissed. In 2020, Representative Rashid Talib sponsored a plan to mint two coins to fund pandemic aid. And this year, both Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell have faced questions about using the coin to end the standoff. Each registered objections, but neither would rule it out. It's a very bad idea, but it's going to keep circulating. And the MMT people who are gaining more and more influence are probably going to get their way on this at some point. As it turns out, Beowulf is not an economist or a professional policy wonk. He's a Georgia lawyer named Carlos Muka. Criminal defense, shareholder disputes, a little of everything he told me recently. He's a tinkerer. Jack of all trades, master of none, he says, and his frequent visits to the comment sections of a set of financial websites were kind of a hobby. A tinkerer. What's another name for that? There's <laughs> a name for that. A tinkerer. A busybody, right? What do we call busybodies? What got me thinking about it was that I was reading that people were using their credit cards to buy tens of thousands of U.S. dollar coins from the Mint just to get the credit card points, he said. At the time, the Mint had free shipping and handling, and since it's from the government, the coins are tax-free. They would charge $10,000, get $10,001 coins, and use the coins to pay off their card. This really happened. One such dollar coiner told the Wall Street Journal he took 15,000 coins straight from the delivery truck the trunk of his car to get to more easily drive them to the bank you don't have to do that too many times to get a free first-class ticket mucus said so these people I mean this is ingenious really you have a credit card with $15,000 on it you say okay free shipping I'm not gonna pay a dollar in shipping so uh, I I get the coins it's all tax-free I buy them there's no tax on it I buy them I put them all in the bank Then I go pay off my credit card right away, and I get a free flight out of it. I mean, it's ingenious, right? I get get free airline tickets. A few savvy point sounds found a way to create free flights out of thin air, but Muka was more fascinated by the other side of the transaction. The more interesting point is that after all the expenses in the shipping and handling, the Mint's profit on every dollar coin was 80 cents. The path of a coin from the Mint to your pocket goes like this. The Mint creates a dollar coin... Then it sells it to the Federal Reserve at face value, which in turn sells it to the bank where it enters the broader economy. In these transactions, the bank and the Fed spend a dollar to get a dollar. But the mint receives a dollar for a coin that costs only about 20 cents to make. The difference between the face value of the coin and the cost of producing it, known as seniorage, is 80 cents, revenue that would appear on the mint's books and could be sent to the Treasury to pay down the deficit. But again, what is that coin made out of? It's made out of nothing, it's made out of nothing. tin. But you're increasing the money supply. <laughs> Every time you do this, you just minted $15,000 in coins. Now you could say, well, these are sitting in a warehouse. They're sitting in a warehouse. They already minted it. But a new coin would be something entirely different. You'd have to create money out of thin air. This is sometimes called making money by making money. Mucus coin would work on the same principle. You don't think about it, but one of the powers of the government is to create money by the stroke of a pen, minting coins, he said. Yes, but what does that do? It gets a lie. creates inflation. So this could be a trillion dollar inflation. Now, we know during the pandemic they did this. Over and over, just printed paper money. Just ran the printing press. This would be more visible. It would be more visible. People would see it. Oh my gosh, it's a trillion dollar coin. Muechafel is especially vindicated by the responses from Yellen and Powell earlier this year when asked about the possibility of minting a trillion dollar coin. Yellen simply said it was up to the Federal Reserve. It's truly not by any means to be taken as a given that the Fed would do it, she said. It's up to them. A few days later, a reporter followed up with Powell to ask if the Fed would do whatever the Treasury directs to resolve a crisis or if it would perform its own analysis first. All he said about it was that we are Treasury's fiscal agent, and I'll leave it to that. That's a very lawyerly answer. An agent works for a principal. So basically he was saying if they deposit money, we got to take it. It was an extremely diplomatic game of passing the buck, but the subtext was clear. The chairman of the Federal Reserve, the most powerful monetary official in the world, had been asked to reject an idea hatched by a pseudonymous blogger in 2010, and his sense of professional duty wouldn't let him do it. Well, I'd have to. You see, these people aren't really against it. They say it's a bad idea, but they're not really against it. An idea like the coin gets momentum in Washington only when the people who really run the government from the inside start to take it seriously. Initially, people think in terms of norms, and they think the norms are actually the rules, said a former Treasury official who worked on the debt ceiling standoff in 2013 and requested anonymity to speak candidly. The first time you hear of something new, you're like, no, I can't do it, it wouldn't work. You start to go through the reasons, he said. Is there a legal constraint? Is there an operational one? Would it actually work the way it's being described? The coin doesn't come to Washington unless Washington comes to the coin. The former Treasury official began to see arguments about the coin in what he he called a broad public forum, on blogs, at think tanks, among reporters and cable news pundits, on Twitter. Inevitably, current and former officials, they'll see that, he said. As a deeper dive takes place, you realize it's mostly about norms as opposed to the actual operational rules. When you start seeing daylight between those two things you begin to wonder when did a norm become a norm so what we're dealing in is not market constraints it's not economics it's public opinion well if we want to print if we want to mint a trillion-dollar coin who cares public opinion says we can do it we should do it we've got norms so in other words all we're doing in our financial policy is norms we have norms to follow it doesn't mean they're really hard fast rules this is what the MMT people get into this is where the Austrians say now, there are hard, fast rules in economics. There are, there are constraints, actual constraints in economics, not just norms. These are real things based on history and what happens when you do these things. That's why the Austrians um, are an interesting group of economists, because they follow history. There are real rules at work here, real, real mechanisms at work, and if you blow those apart, you've destroyed everything. What he and some of his colleagues have come to realize, he continued, is that a lot of the norms come about during a very narrow time in history. And prior to that, a lot of Treasury and Federal Reserve officials are rather creative and thoughtful and realize a lot of things they were are attempting were being done for the first time anyway. So if there's no operational constraint, and you have a pretty good sense that there's not a legal constraint, why are we flirting with this Armageddon of a default? As people become more comfortable with that, it becomes debated among policymakers. Not publicly, but it's debated, the former official said. Former officials with current officials current officials with each other you see we've got norms the fed was just new thing anyways well not i mean it sort of was but not really we had central banks before the fed operates as a central bank we've had these things before this is ignoring history it's just saying we just kind of live in the moment we do whatever the norms are what you're ignoring all this stuff this is the deeper part of this which i think people need to get out of this stuff you're ignoring you're ignoring history That's why we study history, so we supposedly don't make these mistakes anymore, yet we do it over and over because, well, we don't really pay attention to history. A former policy advisor at the Federal Reserve sees the coin as the obvious answer to an artificial crisis. The debt ceiling, there's kind of no reason for it except that it might serve as a bargaining chip, as it's doing now to elicit certain types of government spending cuts, he said. I think Carlos is an underappreciated genius, actually. So this is someone who's saying, he's a genius because he came up with a way to inflate. Like crazy. An economist at the University of Texas, James C. Galbraith, came across the idea of the coin around the time of an endorsement by a professor at Yale Law appeared in the Washington Post in mid-2011. I'm really very hesitant with direct communication with people who have policy responsibilities, he said. If I'm going to say something, I generally try to write it, get it edited carefully, put it in the public sphere, and they can pick it up if they want. In 2011, though, he sent a note to a White House economist he knew, quote, have you been briefed or alerted to the implications of Section 5.112K of the coinage statutes? If not, and if you're interested, I can brief you, and an email would take no more than five minutes of your time. The White House economist wrote back, What's the gist? Deal, the former Mint director, has himself become an outspoken respondent to what he calls the myths that have been spun around the coin. I wrote the bill that created the trillion-dollar coin, he said flatly to a conference earlier this year. Sometimes the question is brought up, Well, how did you do that? You weren't a member of Congress. Oh, my gosh. The fact of the matter is, members of Congress don't write bills. Bills are delivered to their office, sometimes by lobbyists, sometimes by agencies, sometimes by committee staff. Well, he just let the cat out of the bag. This is the whole truth. He said the very thing that people don't realize in America, that Congressmen go in and write bills, they don't write any of it. It's all lobbyists, policymakers, agencies, committee staff. They don't write bills. This guy wrote the trillion dollar coin bill. Congressmen don't really do anything except vote on things that are already done before. The swamp, the bureaucracy, the corruption is so big. Congress has become virtually irrelevant. We have executive government and bureaucracy. and A whole lot of people lobbying on the inside. This is why if you decentralize, you don't have as much as this. You see, this piece is beautiful in many ways because it... it, pulls the, the curtain back on Oz. As a head of the U.S. men, he said, I have very specific objections in mind. I was appointed by a Democratic president, Bill Clinton, and I worked with bipartisan committee chairs. This was a bipartisan effort, and together we passed that bill. And the fact that I, it can have a trillion-dollar coin denomination on it was absolutely part of the intent. The former Treasury official sees this statement of intent from the bill's author as enormously important. It is completely crazy that Deal's comments are not dominating Congress's. I'm sorry, dominating Congress's discussions. He said, "This is a very serious man. Our predecessors at Treasury did this for a reason." Lately, Muca has been tinkering with other solutions to impossible problems: a few non-coin debt ceiling alternatives, a small technical change to appropriations language that he argues would make Social Security and Medicare indefinitely insolvent. Le- uh, Definitely solvent, I'm sorry. Uh, legal precedents that would have would have ruled the housing market to be interstate commerce, which means that local housing shortages could be resolved federally. I mean, yeah, he's a tinkerer, right? What is he? What is that? What's a tinkerer? A busybody. And it's all about centralization of power. Stephanie Kelton, a former chief economist uh, to the Senate Budget Committee, said and an economic advisor to Bernie Sanders and Chuck Schumer, as well as a now famous popularizer of modern monetary theory, begun following Muka's work, discussing it with him and touting it to public officials. So the, uh, the popularizer of MMT, Stephanie Kelton, said this is a good idea. Now, if she's on board with it, what does that tell you? I have DM people in the Senate, Kelton says. I'll just say I hope you're following this guy because he regularly puts out really smart content that could be useful to you. Rowan Gray, a law professor at Willamette University, hadn't even begun law school when Callers first propo- posted about the coin. Has since become another high-profile advocate for MMT, which offers a more capricious uh, uh, framework for government spending than traditional economic theory and is popular mostly in progressive circles. He and muker are an unlikely pair. I know he's not as progressive as the MMT economist, Gray said. Carlos is a Republican lawyer from Georgia who wrote it for Ron Paul, and I like him. We're friends. In 2011, the coin was the furthest edge of the furthest edge of crazy, Gray said, and then we had multiple debt ceiling debates, and then we had Trump, and then we had January 6, and then we had Dobbs. What we're talking about is not letting 20 people in the Freedom caucus pull the entire economy to shreds. At a certain point, you just have to sound less ridiculous than the other thing that's on the table. The world really has met us halfway. So think about what Gray's saying here. He's progressive. Well, we had all these things. Now we had Trump, then we had January 6, then we had Dobbs. Oh my God, what does Dobbs have to do with any of this? Well, because that's a bunch of lawyers, judges pulling apart the country by saying federalism is what we have to do. Halfway may not be far enough. As the debt ceiling standoff continues, President Biden has gestured at executive action but dismissed the coin. I don't think anyone has studied the meaning, I'm sorry, studied the minting of the coin issue, he said this month. Speaking at the G7 conference earlier this week, Biden reiterated that the only way to move forward is with bipartisan agreement. Congressional Republicans opened the negotiations with proposals to trade a debt ceiling increase for new work requirements for Medicare and food stamps, a repeal of Biden's student debt relief plan, reduced IRS funding rollbacks to investments to to sustainable energy and other cuts to domestic programs. They also push to increase the military budget. An odd argument if the goal is to reduce spending. Uh, Hallelujah on that last part. But I said before, they're not going to get any of this stuff, really. I mean, the IRS funding has went down a billion dollars. The student debt relief plan, I mean, that's going to be left alone. Rollbacks, all this stuff. It's all going to be there. They're still going to see an increase, but they're also going to increase spending. But as the writer of this pointed out, Republicans really aren't interested in cutting spending. They want to cut spending for the things they don't want and increase it for the things they do want. The Treasury has been using so-called extraordinary measures to meet government debt obligations since January. A true default, Yellen is warned, may come no later than the first week of June. Minting the coin, in a strict sense, would cost a trillion dollars. What would be the cost, Mewka might argue, of not minting it? Uh, Alex Carp wrote this. I don't know who Alex Carp is, but... Um, it certainly is an interesting uh, interesting piece. And another, I mean, bringing this stuff back up here in 2023, uh, it shows you that these things don't go away. Progressives never go away. They just linger and then eventually they get their way. It's the whole point of progressivism. They're patient and eventually they win. What we're going to see if we get this thing, as I talked about yesterday, is not really a reduction in spending at all. It's an increase in spending. The Republicans are just going to allow it because this is what they really want anyways, as Cart pointed out in the piece itself. All right. See you tomorrow on the Brian Hand Show. See you then.